Hey everybody, welcome to the Bear Insider Podcast. I'm Ben Ross, joined by Greg Richardson, publisher of Bear Insider, and we've got ourselves a very special guest today. It's longtime basketball coach, now the Associate Athletics Director of Sports Administration at Cal, Mr. Jay John. Jay, thanks for joining us. How are, how are you guys doing? Oh, we're doing fine, yeah. Enjoy, enjoy talking about Cal athletics and specifically Cal basketball. Glad to hear it. Greg, how are you doing? Doing great. Glad to be here. Excellent. All right. Well, uh, we're going to get to a whole bunch of topics uh, with Mr. John today. Let's quickly give you a, a little bit, in case you don't know, about uh, Jay John's coaching background. Um, been coaching all over the place since since the 80s. Uh, an assistant coach at Oregon, USF, Butler, Arizona, won a national championship there with the Wildcats. Uh, ah, I think that was a runner-up. Runner-up. Yeah, it's just a silver. You, this is silver ring, man. Yeah, back gold, bad. yeah, Duke's got the gold one. Don't bringing get me back, started now. Bringing back bad memories. That's a that's a great way to that's a great way to start. But, and then of course, head coach uh, from '02 to '08 at Oregon State, and then came over here to Cal, where you have been since. Uh, so that's a little bit of background on Jay John. And of course, we're. We're getting close to basketball season now. Obviously, the football season has started. That was a great win. That's a whole different conversation. But we're excited for basketball. Um, I mean, Jay, you've got to be excited that the season is just about upon us. Well, for me, I guess I kind of have my own uh, basketball biological clock, right? So it's it's we get around this time, September. You know, you know the practice is going to start up pretty soon, and and uh, you know it just kind of that goes into my comfort zone, right? My year starts then, and I'm also, um, you know, my son plays college basketball at San Luis Obispo, so it ends up really becoming a, a family affair for us. That's awesome. Well, and you know, again, you've got your new role here at Cal as an associate AD. You're also uh, on the basketball broadcasts, on the radio broadcasts. What's that been like for you? That's really been uh, actually cathartic for me. I, I, my first year not coaching, I, I, I did about eight games um, because at that time Roxy Bernstein was still doing play-by-play and Todd was, was doing the analyst stuff. But Roxy, you know, his television uh, announcing was just really blossoming at that time. And then, you know, the second year I did half the games and then Roxy was just, he's had too many asks by, two, you know, Pac-12 and ASPN. So it's a popular man. Well, and, and again, I found my, I found my first year not coaching. I, I really had a hard time just sitting still in the stands. You know, I would be meeting with donors because that's largely what my transition had been is working with donors to help better integrate them into the Ben's basketball program. But I had a hard time. Um, because as a player, you know, for 10 years and then 34 years coaching, what goes on on the bench is its own special existence. It's, it, it's its own special environment and there's no filter. And you talk out loud and everybody needs thick skin and you're all in this together type of thing. But uh, uh, it was hard for me to... Uh, keep a filter on on things as I was watching. Did you proactively ask about the opportunity, or did they come and tap you no, on the I, shoulder? No, I, I asked about it. Um, I, I wanted to be a part. Uh, I had a feeling, in my own my instinctual feeling, that that would keep me uh, part of the game. Uh, it would also keep me me centered 
you know, because you'd have to, and I'd never done it before. So, I mean, I had to go through a little trial run and yes with it, but I didn't think that there would be a problem there. You're not the play-by-play stuff. I mean, that's hard. Um, but just to chime in about what I'm watching, that, that, that'd be pretty easy. Uh, just had to learn when to be quiet, right? And I take my kicks in the leg from Todd <laughs> just to help teach me. But I, I you know, I was right with that. It, it really allowed me, because it's hard for me to watch a basketball game and just enjoy the darn game. You know, that's why I love to watch football games and I and I actually like watching baseball. I can watch it as a fan, but I can, it's hard to watch basketball as a fan. So getting on the radio uh, and being able to, you know, broadcast the games has just been good for my basketball just inners, you know, and just be a part of it. And uh, actually the preparation on game day was actually something that uh, I missed when I wasn't coaching. But if you're going to be on the radio, you've kind of got another piece to the to the performance, so to speak, that you've got to be prepared for. And it kind of gives you a game day routine and uh, honestly makes me feel more part of the whole deal. It's interesting. So as you make the transition to being an administrator, you still keep, keep your foot in basketball in a meaningful enough way to make you feel connected. Well, again, the basketball piece, um, I'm known as the kid in my neighborhood that was always out shooting baskets. You know, as I grew up, ever, I remember, well, you always were out there. And I was. I mean, from the time my dad put a hoop up when I was nine, and I was out there morning, noon, and night in the summer. I mean, I just, I just was. Even in Tucson in the heat, I would, I would be out there shooting. Wow. And so I just, I love the game, and you know, a total, um, you know, just a total separation was not something that I was going to be comfortable with. I still miss coaching every day, because the stuff with the kids, the, you, you, when you have an, when a when a young man has his aha moment and realizes that I really was in more control of what was going on than I thought. I thought of this person was keeping me from, from playing more minutes and that person and this and all these other things. No, it was, it was me. You know, you figure it out and then the kid looks at you and goes, Coach, I got it. And like, okay, now it's your turn to help somebody younger. Those things just, they don't, you know, I miss that piece of it. But being able to, you know, travel with the guys and be part of the radio broadcast still allows me to develop some relationships with the guys. And, and um, you know, so it's still, it isn't, it isn't all of it, but it's pretty good. It's great stuff. And we've got a new coach, obviously, here at Cal that uh, I think um, has been doing a really good job by all accounts so far. Uh, Viking Jones now just you know, a few months on the job. What have you seen from him so far? How would you kind of assess? I mean, I know it's early on, but how would you assess his performance as coach so far? Well, I, I think Joaquin's been fantastic, you know, uh, so far. I mean, what are we, you know, five, six months? I think he's done a fantastic job, um, you know, given the, the uh, you know, the, the way things uh, closed off in March of the season and, you know, it was a disappointing finish to the season, and the coach leaves, and you know, and then you've got a a, a, a pretty quick process and hire a new coach. You know, and you know, it, it happens so quick. I was involved with the baseball hire; it was a three-week process, pretty, and even the football hire was kind of quick too. But I think what Viking's done has been commendable because if you're the head coach, you're never ever going to make everybody happy. So you have to know who you are 
and what your priorities are and what your philosophy is going to be. And, you know, you should have, you know, formulated this along the way in all the places that you've been. Joaquin's been, you know, he coached with, a, with an NBA guy, Paul Westfall, at Pepperdine. And then he spent time with Steve Alford and he spent time with Rick Pitino. So he should have a lot of things in his own mind about what would I do with this opportunity. And he was given the opportunity, so what do I do? I do my job. I hired a fantastic staff. I, I, I think the staff is wonderful. Yeah, tell us a little bit about that. I mean, uh... well, it, it, it again, um, um, Tim O'Toole was a was a very important um, um, circumstance that allowed Tim or kept Tim here. I mean, he had some other offers for some other places, uh, but decided to stay here. Uh, and so that, you know, and I know that Tim and Waikina developed a good relationship in the last year as assistants on the staff. So if I'm, I'm Waikina, I got my anchor. Okay, I've got, I got my anchor. Tim's an experienced guy, right? He's Tim, is a, Tim, you know, Tim, Tim is a former head coach um, at Fairfield, his, his alma mater. He spent some time working at Syracuse. He spent some time at Duke. He's a, you know he's an east you know by you know uh, by just geographically he's an east coast person, um, and brings a whole he brought a whole lot of experience to Johnny Dawkins at Stanford and the hire here of, of, of Tim by uh, Coach Martin was a very very wise hire, and so Wykeen had his anchor, okay an experienced guy had been a head coach, um, and. You know, at the particular time, you know, Theo Robertson, who I've always maintained a good relationship with, I knew that Theo was interested in being a part of the staff, or at least talking to Joaquin. And, and so that, uh, that moved along well. Um, and then, you know, Joaquin, he had, there was some, there was like three people that he talked to, and he ended up with, with Chris Walker as an assistant. And Chris had not been, you know, it's interesting when you're coaching all the time and somebody doesn't coach, you wonder, everybody says, well, that person, he's been out of touch. He hasn't coached in a while. You know, but then when you're out of coaching like I've been, you realize I'm actually a smarter coach today than I was before. It <laughs> doesn't matter that I'm not coaching. You're always in pursuit. If you're a lifer, you're always in pursuit of the right way to teach a drill, the right way to run an offense or run that play. So Chris hadn't been coaching, but... He was Joaquin's coach, and when Joaquin was a player at Loyola Marymount, he was one of his assistant coaches. And then, you know, Chris uh, worked at New Mexico for, for Alford. Actually, Joaquin replaced him. Then Chris went to Texas Tech with Knight and then ended up being the interim head coach at Texas Tech. So he's been around the block, played at Villanova. So he's he's got a lot of experience, too, another former head coach. So Joaquin's got a staff, two former head coaches, Division One. And that whole bit about it's different moving your seat as an assistant coach, quasi know it all, because we all were one of those at one point in time. You move that seat over, and everything is on you, okay? And you face the media every day. Um, I'll go back to the beginning, knowing that those were the pieces that were in play and what noise was around Cal basketball and the environment. Joaquin, he kept his head down. Uh, took advantage of his opportunity, hired the staff. This is what we're going to do. This is what we stand for. This is how we're going to coach. This is what we're going to do, develop a roster. And it's a young roster, but they didn't take shortcuts, you know. Hey, go, going back to Coach, coach Walker, uh, I understand he's got quite a reputation as a recruiter. Um, and we've seen some great results so far. Do you think he's been one of the key catalysts for – Well, recruiting is – 
Having gone through this, a lot of times people can get labeled as this, the recruiter. Nobody wants to be just tagged as the recruiter, so to speak, because there's more to teach in the game than just somebody runs around and, and meets players and meets people. But you have to be – some personalities, when, you, when you've, and you've never met them before, within the first five, ten minutes, you're like, this person's interesting. He's interesting, you know, and Chris Walker's interesting. Just tell by just the personal vibe that he projects. And I say that about the other guys on the staff, too. You know, you can just see this is someone who's been, knows what he's doing. And when he meets people, people are like, you know, I want to hear what you have to say. And, you know, and those things are important. And, and your assistant coaches are always a reflection of, of the head coach. And, you know, to be able to communicate I always used to look at things when I when I was uh, when I was looking at other coaches. Could you do anything? You may have chosen to be a coach, but could you have done anything else? Or you could all you could do is be a coach. Mm-hmm. And people that can do it could do anything else. Are are people that just are they're gonna people are gonna gravitate to like you're more than just my kid's gonna get more than just basketball for you. You're, you're more than just. Yeah. this yeah and Chris Walker's you know his relationships in Texas he's done a he's done a wonderful job connecting Texas to the University of California in a short time and I've always felt that 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 Texas the kids in Texas doesn't there's not enough schools for them to go to they they, they really aren't and they they like kids in Texas like coming to California to school what's uh what do you think Theo adds to the staff well, with the Theo adds is somebody who's really got a personal experience with Cal. He's a Northern California kid. He he can he as he will say he was under recruited, and he comes to Cal late in April, um, and you know he's. Um, this is the one thing that I always will say about Theo, is I, I had the pleasure of, of of coaching him for for two years. Theo's senior year is twenty ten. That's the team that was that won the Pac-10 championship in first time in 50 years. Jerome Randall was named uh, justifiably was named MVP of the Pac-10, and and he earned it and he deserved it. But the team voted for Theo as most valuable player on the team. That says a lot. That says a lot. Yeah. Okay, and so that. Uh, uh, so with that, you know, Theo, he can, you know, because this is, Cal's not an easy place. And, the, and, and smart kids can only get into Cal. There's nobody that's, yeah. that, that has not been successful in the classroom. You know, you can't get in here. So, but these kids, and boys specifically, right? I mean, until you've been, I don't want to say you have to be humble to grow, but a lot of these guys that come here, they've had a lot of things right for them in their lives. They're good students. They're good enough to get a scholarship to Cal, so they can kind of get a little bit, you know, comfortable. And Theo's, through his own experience, is going to be able to see, you know, this one's ripe for a fall, you know, and I can go, I can use my own personal experience to what you got to do to navigate Cal, who the people are you need to stay away from in terms of um, just distractions and stuff, and what you've got to try to focus on. And how to just kind of how to work and figure out how to be successful in the classroom. 
because they don't they don't hand anything out here. No. So so not only selling Cal, but helping evaluate the kinds of kids who are going to be successful here, and then if they stumble along the way, he can be the guy there to pick he's, them up. He's got a personal experience, and I and I also think you know just for our own for our own uh, uh, alumni and donor base. I mean, everybody has you know uh, Theo transcends the the alumni and donor base because he's he's a player. And, you know, he's a Northern California guy. He's a Cal grad. So our, our own people, you know, our own donors and alums are like, you know, okay. We know, and we have, so we have a Cal guy. And, you know, that's, that's very, that's not necessarily as important in other parts of the country. They just want you, but at University of California, like having Cal people. We do. Uh, and, and so Theo brings that. Yeah. Going back to Y King for a second, I mean, you mentioned some of the, the guys that he's had a chance to learn from, the Paul Westfalls, Steve Alford, uh, Rick Pitino. What what type of style do you expect him to play? What can Cal fans expect to see from his teams? Well, I'm gonna I'm gonna present. Just I don't you know, I don't know. It's not managed expectations. When I was at Arizona, I liked what we did at Arizona. Okay, so. But you couldn't just take what you were doing in Arizona to Oregon State. Right, right. Okay, so you have to, you're going to have to sort some things out. I know Joaquin's uh, primary influence uh, as he shaped everything was what the, wh- how they played and ran the program at Louisville. Okay, and so Joaquin has talked about pressing. All right, well, you, you've got to feel comfortable with your lineup and your group and your kids if that's something that they that they can do right away, maybe it takes a little while till you grow into that. But I do think that the that the um, you know Louisville didn't Louisville develops their players. I'm not saying they don't develop them at Kentucky. They just don't have them there as long. Okay, <laughs> but Louisville will take some guys that are three star people and put them into a system, and they flourish. Yep, and get better. So. I think there's a lot there that Joaquin is comfortable with um, in terms of tempo, you know, and maybe not so much just we're going to get it out and run it, cause, but it's more about from a defensive tempo. Can you do some things different defensively and mix things up defensively? So Coach O'Toole brought a little bit of zone mentality, and we saw that from time to time last year, mm-hmm. often with great success. Do you think we're going to see more zone, or is is Coach Jones more of a man-to-man? Well, I, I, again, the as a coach, I'm gonna I've got to try to sort out what I'm comfortable with, what I want to recruit to, and what works. Uh, I do think that uh, now now I'm speaking for me, uh, just. And I know that I know that, that Joaquin has talked about playing more zone than has been played here in the past. I do know this for for a full blown fact: younger players in college foul more. Okay, they reach, they grab, and they foul more. And a younger player that gets in early foul trouble is um, it bothers them mentally. Really bothered Jalen Brown. Really bothered Jalen. It would take almost to the point where he would I mean he would plow into people and, the, and get the third foul I mean, you could just say and so I think that Joaquin you're going to see we're probably going to see more zone possessions here at Cal this year than we've seen in the past but that's also 
protecting the young kids and funneling people to two of the better defenders at the basket in this conference, and that would be Marcus Lee and Kingsley. So now you're you now you're you're helping your defense, you're helping your young guys because that clock is still moving. So it's a reflection of the roster, both what are you good at and, hey, we're, we've got eight freshmen in here and what are we going to do, or seven freshmen, what are we going to do to protect them from getting into foul trouble and the kind of frustration? Yeah, because it, it, you're still going to have to play offense. And, and you know, again, I get to a young kid and they're getting foul trouble. Well, now they might lose a little bit of their aggression on offense. They don't want to come out because if, I mean, if things get into their mind. So I, to just, for this team, if they were just going to play full man-to-man, we we would be in foul trouble in in, in in no time whatsoever. So I think we're going to see a lot of mixture of things, and uh, that will be the best way for this team to play. So let's talk a little bit about the roster because we've had a lot of turnover, right? Mm-hmm. It's uh, it's almost an entirely new roster. Um, you know that will keep expectations lower, um, but it'll also be something for us to all watch how they grow and develop. You've had a chance to watch some of these guys play here over the last few months. Uh, love to get your perspective on some of the returning players. Let's start with Kingsley Okora. How do you think his game has developed in the offseason? Well, it, it, it's, it's again now, um, I just think more of his development is going to have, it's going to be more of the same but better execution of it. And I don't, I'm not 100% sure at all about how we will play offense. What he can do, though, if he's going to be on the floor, you know, you've you've got to use him as a low post person, and and as a you know sc- you know screener and a, and a dive guy because his his range is going to be in and around the basket. Um, but you know, there was there were moments last year in which his confidence was such that he could take the ball to the middle and shoot the hook, you know, and have a counter move. So I I, I think you'll see a young man who's a year stronger. And, and again, some more confidence because he's he's now a senior and and he's you know he's on the floor. A lot of times when kids become seniors, it, it, they don't look over their shoulder as much, right? So, you know that frees you up a little bit. Um, but and again, he'll be you know he'll be a heck of a defender, you know also. So I, I would just think that his game is not going to be much different, but it's just going to be uh, it'll be better uh, just because he's a year older, smarter, and more comfortable. Uh, making the moves and doing the things that he does. What about Don Coleman? I mean, we saw him from time to time have a big impact on a on games, kind of an energizer bunny off the the bench. But now he's going to be looked at as potentially one of the primary go to players. How do you think his game is developed? Well, I, what I've seen from Don in the summer, and he know that his role last year and what he was instructed to do was go attack the rim. But Don knows Don knows as a player and as a guard to go to the next level that he's going to have to really improve on some perimeter stuff. He's going to have to be able to be, you know, uh, a lockdown or a knockdown shooter. So he's got to work on other things. So what I've seen during the summer and what what's what's you have to discipline yourself as a player in the offseason when you most of your five-on-five stuff is not with coaches. So that if I have an idea of what I want to work on, yeah, I, I know that in order to get better at something that's really a high-skill endeavor, like shooting a basketball, I'm going to have to take shots that I haven't taken before, not worry about missing, and just kind of get used to what it feels like to go game speed and make. Yeah. And, and so, right, he's trying, 
and I've seen all summer long working on the the uh, you know pull up jumper, catch and shoot threes, you know trying to grow his game, um, you know to put it along with the ability to attack. And, and if he could be a a knockdown three point shooter, then all of his drives will be far more open, and you know people won't close short, which is what you would do. Got to be the scouting report on Don Coleman: close short, play drive. Okay, and so I, I think that his mindset has been tremendous about, you know, these are the things I need to work on, and I, don't, I can drive to the basket anytime I want in a pickup game, but don't do that. And, and so, you know, he's got a, he's, there's a ceiling for him that he could, he could really grow and advance his game and be a double-digit scorer. And, you know, that would be, that would take, the more the, the, more the returning guys score and produce, it takes... It takes some of the pressure of production off the young guys. The young guys. So Roman Davis is the last of the returners and, and maybe counted on more heavily um, just because we don't have a lot of big guys. How do you see Roman's games develop? Well, um, Roman's game is one still that would be curious to see how things evolve because he is an athlete um, and he can make some things happen. I would say that that, uh, basket, that Roman's... Um, I think I can't. I never saw Roman play in high school, but he has, in terms of just the 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 structure and discipline of set offense. I don't. I would. My guess would be that there wasn't much of that in his high school situation. So trying to find his niche. You know, a lot of times he would come into games last year, and a play might break down, and he just would go for it. Okay. All right. But there's got to be some growth for him in just terms of structure, half-court offense, where there's a comfort level with him in the basketball uh, for the head coach. Because I, I, I do think that his best position is going to be as more of an inside guy rather than a perimeter person. Hitting the offensive glass, yeah. energy guy on and, defense. And, and, and so you may say as a four-man type of thing versus a three where there's more ball handling um, skills required, ball handling and passing, and that's Roman's more of an attack brain. You know, see a gap go, see see a lane go, try to get the ball. So perhaps if if coach decides to press more and play more up tempo, that may suit Roman better. Yeah, well, and he's got to find. If I'm Roman, I've got to find a way to try to stay on the floor regardless of what we're doing. So I got to figure out how to make the coaches be comfortable with me. But he, the one thing that he has spent a lot of time you know, working on, and does it translate into practice? We'll see, because if it doesn't happen in practice, it won't happen in games, but he's become a better shooter, you know, which, uh, which you know, if you're going to be, a, you know, a perimeter foreman, he's certainly not going to be a back-to-the-basket player. You know, you've got to be able to make that shot, you know, and and so, you know, he's got three years left to play, and and so he's got an opportunity to, to you know, earn some minutes, because he's he's got more, you know he's ahead of the he's right now he's going to be ahead of the freshman just kind of understanding what what all this is about once practice starts. So you mentioned uh, you know earlier one of the strengths of the team potentially being our interior defense with Kingsley, but we also have the transfer from Kentucky, Marcus Lee. I think everyone's excited to see him. What, what should we expect when we see Marcus? Well, you, you, Marcus will be the best athlete. There won't be a better athlete on the floor in any game we play than Marcus Lee. Uh, now, athleticism, you know, uh, certainly just running and jumping unimpeded is, you know, what I'm getting at. I mean, the, now when you start playing the game and people can 
the strength and pushing part of the game, you know, it minimizes your athletic ability if, if you're not strong enough as you go through stuff. But Marcus is going to be in a different position than he's ever been in in college. You know, he's at, at Kentucky, he was always the fourth post. You know, here there's an opportunity, you know, like, you know, kid, you, you can take on whatever you can take on, we can give you. Because if you could actually produce uh, to go along with your defense, you know, you have, you have an all-conference uh, opportunity, you know, to be an all-conference player in 30 minutes a game if you, can, if you can handle But no one's ever been able to see it. He's never been a person that the ball was thrown to. Um, and so that's what I'm curious to see um, is, you know, if he, I, I sat with a, uh, an NBA scout last year watching him, and certainly those guys have tracked him since Kentucky, said if he can develop a 17-foot jump shot, he'll play, he'd play for 12 years in the NBA. You know, and, and, and so that's, if that could happen, you know, we'll see. But, again, he's, he's a great kid. He's all in for the team. Uh, he's a great athlete. He, you know, he's like the rest of them. He works hard, and, and there's a ceiling for him that if he approaches that ceiling, he'll make a huge, huge difference in the overall performance of this team. Because late in the game, you could throw him the ball at the elbow and just go. You're not going to keep him from getting to the rim. And, and so, that, I mean, it's a, it's a real positive place to be able to go with the ball late in the game in a tight game because he'll be a load for somebody. Yeah, with this young of a team, yeah. you want a guy like that. You, you, need, you really need somebody because now that's a lot of pressure on, on for guys to be playmakers. Uh, so, and your two guys with the most experience of making a play with the ball would be Don Coleman and, and Marcus Lee. So, if they will, if they can elevate their games, then that's a huge, huge plus for the roster and for uh, Coach Jones. Let's talk about some of the young guys now. I mean, because I think a lot of Cal fans are excited, obviously, about Marcus Lee, but about some of the freshmen coming in. Uh, what have you seen from Darius McNeil? Yeah, I've only, Darius just, um, arrived at Cal at, you know, in the start of semester, so August. So I didn't see him like I did the others in the summer. Right. But, um, you know, aside from the fact that all of these freshmen have the freshman body, which is going to change tremendously in 18 months. Um, but he is he's a very good ball handler. He's a tremendous athlete. I mean, he, he's, he's, he's fast. And... You know, I've seen it, and he's also a kid I can tell who shot a lot of, he's shot the basketball a lot. He's been in a gym shooting a lot. He's got a very nice release and good little pull-up jumper. Uh, he's left-handed. Sometimes lefties are just absolutely all left-handed, but he's, he's you know, his right hand, he's, he's good. So he's going to be able to go either way with the basketball because, you know, he is a point guard. Um, I don't know. You know, if he, you know, he's he's used to scoring, so you know, okay, scoring point guard. Um, it's better than non-scoring point guard because I've got to guard you when you have it. You know, that was one thing Coach Olson said. I to not have a point guard that can shoot. He said I can't run offense that way. Then the, he's never guarded. Yep. They go underneath the ball screens. So you've got to find that balance of. You know, shooting shooting point guard versus distributing point guard, but that's a day to day. I'd rather start with that equation, shooting point guard, and say, okay, you got to get everybody involved here, and then here's where your shots come, versus I, you know, I shoot take and everybody stands. But there's a lot there with that young man. 
He does he remind you of anybody in recent Pac-12 vintage or Cal vintage in terms of ball handler with that kind of athleticism? Yeah, I, I probably need a little bit of time to 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 uh, to think of you know to identify somebody you know right like that because it's it's the body type. I mean, he's you know he's a he's a he's got a nice wiry frame and it's an explosive frame and and so you know trying to trying to pinpoint a particular person you know and remember what their name is i mean i could think of a guy at this place but i can't remember his name so (laughs) but but he's got for you he's got the kind of speed maybe we've saw on a jerome randall but he's obviously a much taller longer point guard is that yeah he 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 is and you know um Justin Cobbs was a was a was a good point guard, scoring point guard. But Justin doesn't doesn't have this didn't have the speed. This kid has the speed, you know, and he's gonna, he can change gears too. So you come off a little bit of a hesitation, and then you then then explode. It's like whoa, you've got a, you've got another gear. Do you think it helps him being left handed? Does that make it a little awkward to have your primary I, I, ball handler? For people that close out on on when you're guarding when you're guarding the ball, it's irrelevant. Okay, but when you close out on somebody and you've played basketball your whole life, you're you're just instinctively you close out with you 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 close out more with with your with a different foot up because you're going to defend your you're just instinctively thinking it's a right-handed person, and so they can cross you up. It's really a bit it's really messes you up in the post when it's a left-handed post guy. Because you get used to playing a, a you know a body one way or the other, and he goes, oh geez, his feet work different. Yeah. And and uh, so I you know anytime you know guys left-handed, it's it's different. You 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 forget on a closeout that that's his first step, and I'm coming out with the wrong. I'm coming out with my left foot up instead <laughs> of my right foot up. Yep. Uh, another another one of the freshman uh, guards is Deshaun Winston. Um, what have you seen from him? What what can Cal fans expect? Well, you know, Deshaun is Deshaun's not as, as tall as, as Darius. He's not nearly as fast. Uh, Deshaun Winston, what I've seen so far, has a tremendous basketball IQ for the position of point guard. Um, he really, he really knows how to use a ball screen. So uh, basketball has changed a lot, and in in some of it because there's so much travel ball and kids are just showing up on new teams. It's hard for a program to really teach a lot of set plays, unless you're part of, especially if you're part of the country. Is in California, it's really kind of a, it's still kind of a Lakers Showtime uh, game. So everybody's running and pressing. So you see it in high school, you'll see a lot of ball screen stuff. That being said, his coaches have really taught him how to use the ball screen. I mean, and so he's a hard guard off of that. And so he's not somebody that, you know, it makes it easy for the defender to fight through that screen. He's got a good, he's, he's got great, primitive, great field of vision. He's got a good pull-up jumper. I wouldn't say he's totally at three-point range yet. That's just his body. 18 months, that's just growth in the weight room and squats. Yeah, that, that shot will be just fine. But he's really, you know, he's got a great basketball IQ for the position. I, I mean, I like the young man. I do. And, and I think he's, there's a command about him and a presence about running the team when he has the ball. You know, he can get the ball where it needs to go and, and make a shot. Um, let's, yeah, no, I, I agree, I think, with a, a lot of what you say. Um, 
How about Grant Antisevich, the the kid from Australia, six eight forward? I mean, um, what, what do you what do you see from him? Grant is a tremendous shooter. He also has uh, he's he's a young man who's very comfortable inside. You know, guys that can score inside are very comfortable using your body, the defender, as leverage. You play me this way, I go that way. You do this, I go there. And so he's got very good coordination um, inside, right hand, left hand. Um, and he's an outstanding perimeter shooter. Um, and so he, as time goes on, from an offensive standpoint, will really create some problems for defenders because he can shoot it from with great range. So if a big guy goes out with him, sometimes big guys are a little bit uncomfortable getting out that far. If they put a smaller guy on him to take away the jumper, you can put him inside. His biggest thing at this level as a freshman, I believe, is just going to be um, the defense, the defending, you know, moving his feet. Um, you know, it looks like he might be a, a, a decent natural rebounder, okay, but uh, he's gonna, he has to get stronger. Uh, I could see a quality post person taking him inside and getting like, put, you know, getting his rear end into, into Grant's like, oh, geez, he's got me in jail. Uh, but uh, again, he's a, a, you know, the one thing I've seen with the three guys we talked about, and I'll keep talking about it, basketball IQ for his position is high. And he really likes playing basketball. Um, good passer. So again, he's gonna as he grows, he's gonna be a good, good player in this league. Yeah, not to put unreasonable expectations on him. And you mentioned he's got some development to do physically, but your description isn't, you know, of a guy who basically went under the radar from a recruiting perspective. His side is not that dissimilar to Ryan Anderson when he came here. Ryan, yeah, but Ryan's, you're correct. But Ryan was a double-double guy from the minute he showed up on the court, you know, and and, uh, uh, and there was a more of a – physically, he just was – he was a stronger – Bigger, freshman. stronger man, yeah. Yeah. Uh, but, yeah, I see where you're going with that because, you know, and Ryan, you could throw the ball to Ryan at the post and he could <clears throat> he could muscle you. I don't see Grant doing that just yet. But, uh, again, it's it's – I coached against Ryan. So I know what a mismatch issue it was um, with him because you know he played with Harden. So you had to, you had to determine who you're going to put on him, and if if you know take away the jumper or he takes you inside. I mean, it was hard, and and, and over time, I mean, there's I think there's a lot of things you can do with a four man that has that kind of skill set, and we haven't really haven't had a four man at Cal since Theo that really had this inside outside ability where you just we can run a lot of offense where you just are stuck so yeah um austin mccullough is another one of the freshmen that uh you know i'm excited to see what what have you seen from him well i i think that the i i see austin's you know body as he's got a pretty mature body you know already pretty physically strong and, and, and pretty much command um you know, defensively, he doesn't get pushed off, you know, and, and bounced around. He's a strong kid already and can, I think can hold his ground. Uh, I, and, but he's, you know, he's a, he's a, you know, he's a good, he's a very good shooter. I know that's something that's really attracted the, the coaching staff when they saw him, just the ability to knock down a shot. 
And he's a competitive kid. And, and really, you know, that those, you know, the, comp- the competition piece, I haven't really used that word with the other guys, but I, I see the same thing with the guys. Competitive. You know, competitive kids away from the court, they're still competitive kids. So how does that kid spend his time? I mean, you, you, you're not competitive about being, without being proactive. So you're proactive in other things that you do to get better because you, you, you're just you're competitive. So Austin, I think, is, you know, he's, you know, they're looking to, I think, have him spend some time as a two guard. Um, maybe there's some three. But, you know, again, you, you bring in a, a kid who's um, he's got a skill set in shooting and, you know, body's pretty ready to compete, you know, and, and so he's going to find his way on the floor and have an opportunity to grow through getting playing experience. What about Juwan Harris Dyson? He's, uh, you know, a, a kid that came in here with a lot of athletic ability, maybe a little less mature physically than some of these other kids from, uh, uh, but you know, what have you seen from him? Well, I, I, I've, I've seen another, you know, you know, very, very strong athletic kid in, in, in Juwan also. Uh, I've heard... You know, people say that he was more, you know, Conzo would say he's more of a, you know, a defensive guy and an energy guy and all that. But, you know, I, I've, I've seen, I don't know, I, I've never seen him play in high school or know anything about his high school stats. But I see a young man who, you know, just um, can end up, being, end up being a pretty, I wouldn't say offense is the first thing that I identify him with. But I, I also think that he's going to be a pretty good offensive player. I, I like his shot. My guess would be in high school is that he didn't he didn't shoot a lot of outside shots um, that he he was attacking things and because he certainly could do that but I also see a young man whose who's, uh, um, form on his shot and the, just the fundamental pieces of a shot are there so sometimes with that you just as a, you just have to be coached in the repetitions be proper repetitions practice the same habit. Uh, the right way over and over and over get comfortable get confident and you know not be afraid to go for it and not be afraid to you know my, this is my shot I practice it step in shoot fire and don't worry just trust trust the muscle memory over thousands of reps yep. that you'll be better yep but another guess another I, I like his competitive demeanor uh, you know and, and so you know I think guys that are competitive kids that have good body language they know they're going to go through some ups and downs but i'm going to internally fight through that it's like no i'm no i'm no i'm no quitter i'm no whiner i just need to problem solve you know and and i'm going to go and i'm going to work at keep getting better yeah well one of the or the last freshman i wanted to ask you about at least was uh justice suing because i know he came in with a lot of hype and and i think he's a a real talented guy what what another modern day kid yeah well you know and, and again as a college basketball coach will always mitigate the hyperbole about what does hype mean? Where did hype come from? Who would, who gave people that? Right. You know, who adopted and anointed? The kid didn't do it. Right. The kid just was a kid. He played. He just played. He played. Yeah. I did what my coach asked. I fit with my team. You know, he showed up at modern day, I think maybe in his junior year. So he walks into an environment that largely is pretty much ready-made. You know, and, and and so kids have been aligning themselves to go in modern day since they were twelve, and he comes in, upsets the apple cart, and he's a player, and he's and he's you know ends up being a good player. Um, he has Pac-12 size as a three man, 
And and that's that that's important because I, now I've been in this league now for 20 years, you know, and and there are more wing wing and guard people that go in the NBA from this conference. And there's a, always you can always find Pac-10, Pac-12 NBA players at the three spot, you know. So he has the size to be that. He, he he's got a knack for rebounding. Um, and, you know, I, I see, you know, also see another, you know, competitive kid. Um, and, you know, I'll be curious to see how how he transitions and how he scores. He's not a bad shooter, um, but uh, as he works through offense and how you work your three-man, I mean, a lot of times you, your three-man may be more cutters. How do you fit a, a more of a cutter and need to be able to do some stuff inside, outside? He handled the ball a lot in high school. Um, does that translate? Do you think? Yeah. Well, I, I think anytime that you're handling the basketball and you know, and he's a guy, quote unquote, right? So I'm I'm game planning for him if I'm playing against the modern day. I can't let him do what he wants. So if his ball's in his hand more than a catch and shoot, you know, there's some experience there, and you know they play high level. You know, once modern day gets in the league play, it's not very high level. But in the in the winter or, or before Christmas, it's national tournaments. Then there's some things early January that are national, and then you have your postseason. So, you know, the fact that he and I wasn't really aware of that is the ball handling piece. But I, I noticed he's comfortable handling the ball, yeah. and I, I that's always a that's always a bonus to be able to go from A to B with the basketball and create a passing lane or or an opportunity to drive something that moves the defense. Yeah, you know, we watched Dylan Brooks from Morgan be a good ball handler and a uh, and a creator from that three spot is now in the in the NBA. Also be a pretty big bodied guy. I mean, maybe a similar style play. Well, to- we'll, we'll see. I mean, that, that kid had a heart as big of a line, you know, because yeah. he came in, he made himself a better player. He really did. He was not, as a freshman, he's someone who came in with a lot of hype. But really, the, on the floor, it was, you know, he was running around a lot. You know, and maybe at times trying to do too much, but as his, his last year as a junior, I mean, he that kid really worked and made himself um, the level player that he was, and and so to, all to his credit because that's he took advantage of an opportunity and got in the gym and, and didn't just settle for for being good. He wanted to be great, and that's always a positive in a kid. Something for uh, for or someone for justice yes. to model for yeah. sure. So shifting away from from Cal a little bit, I mean, you, you've been in this rare place of having coached with and alongside two Hall of Fame college basketball coaches. Curious. Let's start with Lute Olson. You were you were there, obviously a great run. Would love to hear, you know, what you thought made Lute special. What was it that that made him so successful down there in Tucson for so long? Well, I, I think with anybody with anybody that's leading, you know, a, a CEO of sorts. You, you have to know what you want. You have, you have to really have a vision for what it is that you want and how you're going to put together your organization to achieve that. Uh, you have to know who you are, too. What are you capable of and where are your gaps? Okay, so I gotta, then I've got to fill things. You know, Coach Olson knew. I met Coach Olson a couple weeks after he got hired at Arizona. I was a high school freshman basketball coach in Tucson and teaching biology when he got hired. I tried to go in and get a job in 83 with Coach Olson. I continued to go back and work camp. 
I, I, I made it my mission to create a relationship with that man because that was my school that he was coaching at. And 15 years later, he hired me. Um, he knew what he... That's he, persistence. You know, he, he knew who he was, what he wanted, and he had an ability to... He filled the room and he filled the gym. So when you come in, when you came in, the coach, the kids were like, you know, um, older kid teaching younger kid, and coach treated everybody the same, and he had a blueprint for how he wanted to play, and he was when he walked in, when he got into a room to recruit, in a home to recruit, his presence, it was it was unbelievable. I mean, you could not, people could not say no to the man. Yeah. And and that was just you know he understood who he was and and you know but largely a very simple person in terms of what he expected out of you you know go to, represent the program go to go to class your 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 degree is important and when you get on this basketball court listen learn you'll be good you know and there was always a lot of teaching from the oldest to the youngest just like hey relax if he's talking to you you're good. You know, he says, you, you don't like what it was like when I was a freshman, you know, type of thing. But, you know, the bottom line is he was right more than he was wrong. So the guys were just like, okay. But he also had a good balance off the court. You know, I mean, his, his wife, Bobby, was tremendous. And she, she, had, she was his best assistant coach because, you know, she just tell him, you're being, you're being, you're not. You're out of control with this. You're wrong on this. Right. You, you know. Right. You need to think this through. You know. Uh, and so, you know, she was a good confident confidant for him. And and again, you know, he treated people well. I mean, one of the things, if 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 there is an event in Tucson, um, all hands. Uh, you know, let everybody know. All the former players. You give. You give three months notice. And you'll have you'll have forty to fifty former players there. Tremendous they'll, loyalty. They'll stop what they're yeah. doing, and everybody says, "You're going to go. You're going to go. You're going to go." And yeah, well, I'm going to. I'll be there. I'll be there. And uh, you know, it's just that says a lot because the, once the players left the program, they all wanted to go back and see how coach was doing. That's a tremendous amount. What you know, was he one of these coaches that someone might describe as a players coach? Somebody that imbued his players a lot of confidence and let them go or was he you know one that had a system and he wanted the players to well i i can i can tell you a story okay so you know early on um you know early on he just kind of struck gold in with with i mean steve kerr the story on steve kerr um was steve didn't have a scholarship offer he may have had a one to fullerton is the best i hear but he's coming he's finishing it summer of 83 i mean he's out of high school he went up to Gonzaga on a on a visit, and they paired him up against Stockton, and and it's like, well, we're not sh- we're not sure about him. Well, yeah, yeah. It was John Stockton, <laughs> you know, and and so um, then on July thirtieth, there was a tournament in Southern California. Coach has just been hired; hasn't pra- hasn't had a practice yet, but it's eighty three. And Bobby and Coach went to the gym because to watch these kids play. And, you know, I know he saw some other guys, I'm sure, but there was one game that he watched. He's watching Steve Kerr. And, you know, as they're leaving the gym, Bobby says, seriously, Luke, 
I mean, are you serious? What we had at Iowa, that's that you, you think he's that guy? He says, eh, I don't know. I like him. There's something about him I like. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to come back tomorrow. And Bobby says, well, you're going on your own. I'm just going to stay down at, you know, at the house. And so he comes back and likes enough and, you know, offers him a scholarship. Steve takes it. The rest is history. Wow. Okay. Some good scouting. And at that particular time, the best high school basketball player in the history of Tucson, Arizona, just happened to be a rising junior, Sean Elliott. And I coached against Sean as a, at freshman high school basketball. And he just happened to be in Tucson at that time. And coach looks and said, okay, well, yeah, we'll, we'll offer him a scholarship. <laughs> Good idea. You know, and then some other things fall into place. And those two guys, Steve and Sean, are still to this day, you know, the identifying markers of the program. Yeah, foundation layers, you know? right? Yeah. Uh, and, and so, you know, and you picked up Tolbert after a couple of years. Tom came and then Craig McMillan, who's the – Who's a longtime Division One assistant coach? Who's who's now the head coach at Santa Rosa? Judd Bushler, right? Judd Bushler, you know, came. So started putting pieces together. But I would say they were more of a structured team at that time. It was more of an inside-out coach valued the big guys. And then it was Damon Stoudemire that told me this. Uh, you know, the Arizona went through a couple of of uh, years where they got upset. You know, there was a 91, 93, and 95 upset. You know, 95 was against Miami of Ohio. 93 was Steve Nash, Santa Clara. 91 was a kid, Mr. Jennings, East Tennessee. And Coach was had you know, a lot of big guys. And I know that Damon Stoudemire told me the story, you know, after 93. He says, Coach, you know, the bigs are – I can move and I can drive, so can Khalid. He says, but we've got too many big guys at the basket. I can't – I can't keep going. I can't keep penetrating. And so coach, you know, he kind of changed his philosophy in recruiting, you know, and then they got more athletic, a little bit smaller. And in 94, they went to the final four. And and then, but he kind of kept that philosophy going. So it changed based on your question. I gave yeah. a long answer, changed to more of a wide open game. You talk about freedom. The freedom was there based on what you were capable of doing. But the freedom evolved when you, the caliber of player that you started to get, you know, in the, the final four team, the, the national championship team, Mike Bibby, point guard, okay, great shooter. Jason Terry could play anywhere, but could be point guard, off guard, great shooter. Miles Simon, perimeter player, outstanding player, not a point guard, but, you know, a guard. Yep. Michael Dickerson. You know, a, a guard, two guard, but handle the ball. So you start to spread the floor, and everybody can attack, drive, shoot, pass. My gosh! So I wasn't there for that. When I got to Arizona, we had you know it was Richard Jefferson, you know Gilbert Arenas and Walton and stuff. But I remember distinctly Montgomery Stanford's coming in and Mike saying to me, and I'd known Mike for years prior. He says, you know, I've coached against Luke for a long time. He says the playbook keeps getting smaller. And I said, I said, well, Mike, we, we'd all like a smaller playbook because if the better the players are, the less you got to do. And he goes, ain't yeah. that the truth? That's a great story. Yeah. And credit to Coach Olson for iterating and learning and adapting. So he, I mean, that's a part of his greatness. There is he realized it's time for me to change. Yeah. And, and he that's made, tough for a lot of people to do. You know, and he made the change. And from that period of '94 to 
uh, well, from 94 to 2001, I mean, it was three Final Fours and two Elite Eights. Yeah, you can't argue with the results. And, yeah, you, you, you brought up Mike Montgomery, and he, you know, he's the other uh, Hall of Famer that you've gotten a chance to work with. I mean, for me, I don't think there was a guy who got more out of his talent than Mike. What, what made him such a great coach? Well, let's, sometimes when you hear that phrase that way, it, it somewhat it might connotate that the talent wasn't wasn't that good. Right. Okay. And he certainly had okay. talent as well. Mike developed kids. Yeah. He saw a blueprint in a player and said, "I can, I can, you know, I can develop that kid." He knew where he was coaching. Right. Okay. So you're not at, at Stanford. You know, there had to be that combination of of, of you know complete student athlete. And he could recruit nationally, but Mike also had a, an offensive blueprint that could work for for any kid, and largely would allow him to to really recruit big kids. And he knew that he was going to have a, a hard time recruiting the true jet point guard. You know, you may get one here and there. The Brevin Knights, Brevin Knight, right. perfect example, but. Over time, you know, uh, I'm, I'm that may, I may not get that player. He's the exception. Okay, to the so how do I compete against Arizona and UCLA? I mean, this Pac-10 went through a period of time from 1986 to 2004 when only three teams won the league: Arizona, Stanford, or UCLA. Okay, so that's 19 seasons. That's pretty amazing. Of only three teams. Wow. So they were truly. Completely ahead of the pack, right? Yeah. So every year, Mike's got to go. How am I going to? How am I going to uh, run offense against the quickness at UCLA? How am I going to be able to do this? How am I going to be able to defend? How do I neutralize some of what I don't have? Well, Mike became, and he already was. He was that way at Montana. But Mike Montgomery, without question, best half court offensive coach um, in probably two thirds of America. Nobody better. Some other people around the country could run good half court offense, but nobody is nobody close in the in the in in the West. And so you were gonna you were gonna deal with big bodies hitting you, and continuing to hit you. And they're gonna go. The ball's gonna go in the post, and those guys are gonna fight you. They're gonna attack you. And you know when towards the late '90s, Mike started getting real NBA guys. You know, Casey Jacobson was 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 a real you know real player there in the, in the on the perimeter, and then of course you had all those bigs with Collins and Madsen and Borchert. Tail Johnson played in the NFL. That's right. um, you know, you, you had I mean they were just they were they were good. Yeah. But the thing is, is is you knew that they were going to be physical. You knew that they weren't going to be intimidated. You knew they were coming right at your right at your chest, and it was going to be a battle. And that was what Mike instilled in, in that program. And there was a, you know, a real pride. And then you got to a point where, you know, guys are asking to come here, come, I want to come to Stanford. And he brought some of this, the same thing to Cal. You know, there was talent here. There was young talent here when, when, Coach, Braun was, when Coach Braun was let go. And, you know, we did the same stuff. We didn't have the same big guys. And it got, it got adapted a little bit. You know, but you know, Mike. Mike could look at the situation. He could look at the situation, and this is what it calls for. This is the play we need to run, and we run it. We execute it, and you know, by and large, it was a good shot. And most times, it was a score. Just a great, great tactician. Yeah, I think. I mean, I 
I think Cal fans and Stanford fans can certainly attest to that. I mean, the guy is a legend at this point in the Bay Area as well as Montana. All right, well, guys, thanks so much. I mean, this has been awesome. Jay, some fantastic stories and, and some insight. Appreciate you being here, Greg. Thanks as well. And uh, thanks to you all for listening uh, to this edition of the Bear Insider Podcast. <laughs>